You are listening to the Aging Starts Now podcast, where it's all about responding with confidence to the legal, financial, and personal challenges created by disability, unexpected illness, or simply aging in general. Join us weekly as elder law attorneys Tim Takis, Barbara McGinnis, Chris Johnson, and other members of the Takis McGinnis Elder Care Law Team talk about the tools, techniques, strategies, and services that will make the elder care journey easier for everyone involved. Get ready, because aging starts now. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Aging Starts Now. I'm Barbara McGinnis, Partner and Certified Elder Law Attorney at Takis McGinnis Elder Care Law. How does someone contest a will? We get asked that. We think about it a lot. How do you know an executor is acting in good faith? Well, joining us for this discussion is attorney Matt Patempa, a partner at Martin Heller Patempa and Shepherd in Nashville. Welcome, Matt. This is your world, isn't it? Thank you, Barbara. It's good to be with you. And uh, this is all I do for a living is probate litigation. Uh, this is all I've handled for the last uh, almost 15 years now are will contests, uh, trust disputes, and various other types of probate and, and estate litigation. So yes, yes, I'm well, glad to be with you. It must happen uh, with a great deal of frequency. I, I just thought it was something that we saw on television shows like Dallas and Dynasty, and that proves how old <laughs> I am, that those are the shows that come to my mind. But um, so how do you know whether an executor is acting in good faith? Do people ask you that? Well, it's a great question, and it does it really have an easy answer. You know, many people would view an executor um, as kind of the, the fox guarding the hen house when there is mistrust in, in these, you know, family relationships. And, um, and I'll age myself as well. I remember Dallas very well. And, um, and so, you know, um, often by the time people get to my office, um, communication has broken down between often, you know, family members and there is, uh, not only no communication, but there's also a great deal of mistrust. And so the thing the listeners need to remember about the process of probate is probate assets are only the assets that are in the decedent's name. And so any assets that would have passed outside of probate, for example, uh, via a beneficiary designation or a payable on death designation or, or a joint holder of an account, um, you know, those assets are not subject to an executor's control. Um, and so to, to try to answer your question, uh, an executor has a duty to a probate court to provide uh, generally an inventory and accounting. Uh, however, almost every will that you and I see probably waives those requirements. And so, um, you know, it, uh, courts in Tennessee and, and most courts um, are pretty liberal in allowing an interested party to request an inventory and accounting. Um, but generally, um, those requirements are waived in a will. So, um hope that answers your question. But um, often when I get involved, um, a, a, a beneficiary of an estate is seeking to 
um, to require uh, more transparency uh, through the courts. And so often my job is to, is to get just that, making sure that the decedent's assets are accounted for um, and giving the beneficiaries and the heirs an opportunity to determine whether any assets are missing or have been misappropriated. So, um, yes. You know, I think when I talk to uh, beneficiaries that are disgruntled or dissatisfied with the way an estate is being handled, um, it, it does come down to communication. I mean, that is most likely the the really the cause of the problem. The executor has not communicated enough with their beneficiaries to keep them updated. Probate is or can be an exasperatingly slow process uh, because there's details to be managed. And a lot of times those beneficiaries aren't aware of it unless they've served as an executor before. And so they're just sort of, a, if it's not going as fast as they think it should, they're assuming the executor is doing something wrong. Now, obviously, if you've been busy for 15 years doing will contests, there's probably is a lot of stuff that does go wrong, but not all the time. Um, so what would be the grounds to really question an executor? Yep. Well, um, you know, some people reach out to me and they're simply unhappy with what the decedent left them. And um, that is not grounds for uh, challenging the executor or the fiduciary. So, you know, um, often people say, well, I know that dad had uh, a checking account and he had an investment property and, oh yeah, there was the the beach house down in Florida. And that's not on the inventory the executor provided. And so, um, you know, if if we're talking about probate assets, then any beneficiary or heir would have the ability to file an objection to any inventory and accounting and say, now, wait a minute, executor, you didn't include the Florida condo and you didn't include uh, dad's checking account. And so I want the judge, generally the probate judge, to order you to provide a more comprehensive list of assets. Um, and so your listeners may wonder, well, how do we know what assets dad had uh, at death or mom had at death? And that's a tricky question. You know, there's no real uh, clearinghouse or, or place to go to find out whether mom had a life insurance policy or, um, you know, um, whether or not mom had a checking account that was payable to sister uh, at mom's death. And so, those are the types of issues that fuel probate litigation. And often a person has to initiate a lawsuit to have the ability to subpoena uh, bank records. Um, and, you know, um, some, some things are public information. For example, real property, one can go to um, the, a county tax assessor's website and generally find out uh, whether or not uh, a decedent ha owned property at the time of their death, but it's it's a little trickier when we're talking about financial accounts, investments, um, you know, insurance policies, those types of things. So, if if there were joint bank accounts or the PO, payable on death accounts, like you just mentioned, 
can you question those in probate litigation? I mean, can you get that information brought in? It's a good question, Barbara. I wish I had a clear answer. So hypothetical situation happens all the time in my world. Mom dies, she has a will, and it says, I want my two children to divide everything equally, 50-50 when I die. But let's say uh, mom, all she had at, at the time of her death was a, a checking account with $100,000. And uh, you know, a year before she died, she put daughter on the account just to help her out with her bills, just to help her pay things. And so um, most of my you know, people who call me, they say, I'm supposed to get half of mom's stuff. That's what her will says. Well, no, no, no. Because that $100,000 is not a probate asset. It's it's daughter's money, either at the moment mom places her on the account or at the moment of death, depending on how mom signs typically a signature card from the bank or the financial institution. And so um, that that's that's why we need estate planners. And so, you know, my practice was sort of founded on the principle that it is far better to do a little estate planning um, because by the time people call me, often um, communication has broken down, mistrust has developed, and uh, people are concerned that mom or dad's intentions may not actually be carried out. And sometimes this is a product of a lack of estate planning, Mm -hmm. and often it's a product of um, not titling assets according to mom's will. Under my previous example, um, if if mom would have left the account alone, then that hundred thousand dollar account would be part of her probate estate, and her funeral expenses would be paid out of that, and any debts owed would be paid out of that, and then ultimately, you know, the the hypothetical hundred thousand dollars would be split evenly. Um, Mm -hmm. And so it's very important for your listeners to remember, not only do you have to have a a smart estate plan, you also need to make sure your assets are titled accordingly. I know. I know. I can't tell you the number. And just to just to build on top of that hypothetical, the number of times that people come in and say they've been advised by some bank personnel to put a child as a co-owner on the account so that the accounts don't get frozen at time of death. And, and that scares people. And the word probate scares people. But they're quick, it, there's it's a lot of misinformation about how things really do pass at the time of death. So that Again, misinformation and lack of communication and transparency causes a lot of um, distress after death. So let's say, Mm -hmm. who has the right to file a claim against an estate or to contest a will? That's a good question. Um, To have standing uh, to file a will contest, a person needs to be a either a, an heir at law, and so by heir at law we're talking uh, immediate family members, and so um, we like to say if you don't have a will, the state creates one for you, and that's where uh, the idea of intestate succession uh, comes into play. So I am married and I have three kids, and so if I die and I don't have a will, 
my wife gets a third and the children split the other two thirds. Um, and if I, if I uh, die without a spouse, then my children would split the estate evenly. So it goes to your spouse, your children. <clears throat> if you don't have any children, just to your spouse. And, and, you know, we can go through all those uh, scenarios, mm -hmm. but um, so if you, uh, um, if you could, if you would set aside, so for example, um, if I want to contest my father's will, and um, let's say he's created three different wills, and um, I would have to show the court that uh, by challenging the last will uh, that I would take under the previous will. Um, and so you have to have an interest in the estate. Um, you can't challenge a neighbor's will just because mm -hmm. you think it's an injustice. Um, and in order to file a claim against an estate, you have to show that the decedent owed you money, um, which is different than a claim. There, there, there's mm -hmm. often confusion with, um, well, um, the, the decedent, um, you know, uh, ran over my, my, you know, hit me with their car. Um, that's not, that's not a claim. That's a cause of action. That's a lawsuit. And so you would have to, a person would have to file a lawsuit against their estate. But if, if someone who passed away, you know, probate lingo is, is decedent. If the decedent actually owed me a hundred thousand dollars and I have a promissory note, then I can file a claim with the estate and say, Hey, probate judge, the decedent owes me a hundred thousand dollars. And, um, it's very important for, for people to understand the time periods, uh, at which those claims must be filed. So generally a person needs to have an interest in an estate to be involved. Like I said, uh, you, you can't file a claim or contest the will of, um, a loved one. Um, if you're not either an heir or a beneficiary. All right. So let's say dad's last will leaves you out. You're disinherited. What do you have to prove to get that will thrown out? Okay. So very generally, there are two ways to contest a will. Number one, incapacity. Dad didn't know what he was signing. He could not understand what he was doing. Number two is undue influence. Basically, sister coerced dad into signing that document. And so to, pick, to break those down a little more, let's first talk about testamentary capacity. In order for a person to have testamentary capacity, the ability to make an, a valid will, all they need is the ability to know generally what they have in this world, their property, and to whom that property should go. And um, there, there are formalities with signing a will. Um, it has to be signed, dated in front of two disinterested witnesses. And so, but let's, let's talk about that a little more. Testamentary capacity is very low. You know, mm -hmm. someone can have there's no law or rule that says because a person has been diagnosed with mild cognitive uh, dementia or some type of, uh, you know, even Alzheimer's, that person still may be able to execute a will. 
um, as long as they know basically what they have and who they want it to go to. And so, so factor number two, undue influence. Um, there's nothing necessarily wrong with sister saying, hey, dad, I think I should get all your money. You know, um, obviously that I, I hope no one would ever say that. But hey, brother's doing fine. He doesn't need that money. Um, you know, I've got to I, I need help or, or, you know, siblings can lobby <laughs> for their inheritance. But undue influence um, it, it rises to the level of substituting one's will for that of the testator or, or the person making the will. And so often will contests and the evidence we present in court is a combination of those two factors. Okay. So, you know, not only is mom declining to the point where she's becoming confused, but uh, sister is also um, trying to get her into the, a lawyer's office or trying to print out a will um, and, and trying to get her to sign some documents. Um, you know, whether that's a will, sometimes it's a, a, a deed, a quit claim deed. Um, and so as a, as a person who deals with, you know, a lot of will contests, um, we have to kind of start talking about what types of evidence could be persuasive in helping a judge or a jury determine that mom or dad or any loved one, um, that the will was not their intention. Um, it was either a product of undue influence or a product of the lack of capacity. Oh, I don't envy you and the work that you do. That uh, <laughs> sounds almost as bad as doing divorce work. Uh, yeah, I've heard probate litigation and will contest as being described as divorce with a corpse. And <laughs> it sounds very morbid, um, but, you know, it, it's it's a timeless dispute. What do, what do you do with the property one accumulates during their life? And um, when you have someone who has expressed their intentions, you know, at every Christmas, you know, grandpa said, hey, you know, um, we're all going to get the family farm and we're going to have it in our family for generations or the lake house or the beach house. Mm -hmm. And, you know, two months before uh, grandmother or grandfather passes, lo and behold, now the farm is owned by the nice young person from church or the caregiver. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's difficult. It's a difficult uh, situation. And, the the evidence that a person has to prove is often this gray area. You know, even if I have medical records that state, you know, the week before uh, granddad signed his will, he was confused. Okay, well, does confused mean that he he lacked testamentary capacity? Maybe, maybe not. You know, yeah. I've had I've had uh, will contests where I love to get a hold of someone who who, who is a hairdresser. You know, I've, I've had a hairdresser on the stand who says, yeah, I, I, I cut, you know, grandma's hair for 20 years. And let me tell you, the last six months she came in, she was different. She didn't remember how to, how to pay by check. And, and she couldn't really remember, you know, she couldn't tell me about uh, the family like she usually did. And so these are the types of, um, this is the type of evidence that an attorney would look for 
uh, when evaluating a potential uh, will contest or, or probate Lack dispute. Lack of capacity, yeah. Um, yeah. So this isn't something that families should take lightly. It's going it's to be a lengthy process, right? Exactly. And it's important to remember, you know, this is not just for wealthy families. You know, this is, uh, in my opinion, it's just as important to preserve the family harmony as it is to preserve uh, the wealth. So whether we're talking about $5 million or, you know, $20,000 in equity in mom's house. I mean, many of my clients, unfortunately, are that they will never speak to their sibling again uh, mm-hmm. because of a parent's lack of a simple estate plan. And, and it's very unfortunate and it's very preventable. Well, thank you. Thank you for explaining uh, some of these topics. It's delicate and contentious. And like you said, part of the, the byproduct is, you know, families breaking apart. Um, and that's very sad. So it can be prevented with good estate planning, proper titling of assets, and clear communication. At least it goes a long way to uh, preventing some of these disputes. I appreciate your time, Matt, and I think we're going to wrap up. That's it for today. All right, Barbara. Thanks for having me. Have a great day. You too. Take Us McGinnis is a life care planning law firm helping families respond to the legal and financial challenges caused by chronic illness or disability of an elderly loved one. Join us next week for another episode of Aging Starts Now. Thank you for listening to the Aging Starts Now podcast. For more information about today's show, visit tn-elderlaw.com, click on the free resources tab, and then click on Aging Starts Now. You'll find the show notes there. And while you're at it, why not check out all the free resources available at tn-elderlaw.com. Document downloads, the Take Us McGinnis blog, educational videos, informative articles, helpful links, a TV show, and more. It's all there free for the taking. If you enjoy listening to the Aging Starts Now podcast, please subscribe, rate the show, or leave us a review. It's easy to do on whatever app you use to listen. We would love your feedback on the show. Aging Starts Now. We'll be back next week with more candid discussions about challenges created by aging, disability, and unexpected illness. 